How's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, my name's Hub, and I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. Me? Oh, I'm doing okay. I was just taking Finley out for a walk earlier today, and... We ended up bumping into the dog in my neighborhood that has my second favorite name. I've mentioned earlier, I believe, the dog in the neighborhood that has the best name is, of course, Dave. I know Dave's name because I've heard Dave's owner yelling at Dave, and it cracks me up every time. I've never actually seen or heard this other dog's owner, but I know that the dog is named Taco because there's a little sign on its fence that has a picture of Taco, who is a very cute, I don't know, I think probably Toy Schnauzer, is a very, very small dog. I don't know all the dog model names, but it's a real little one. And there's a picture of Taco, and then a little word bubble coming out of Taco's mouth that says, Hello, my name is Taco. Please do not feed me treats. I have a special diet because I have a sensitive stomach. So, obviously, I love this sign, and I love this dog. It's a little bit ironic that the dog is named Taco, because Portland is a city known for its fusion cooking, and that has led me to believe that you can put anything in a taco, whereas this sign would explicitly state otherwise. There are many things that you cannot put in this taco. I would imagine on that list would be onions and cilantro, which are two things that definitely belong in a taco. But as much as I love the text of this sign, I think what I love more is the subtext of this sign, which really is burying the lead. Because, given the use of the first person, what this sign is really saying is, Hello, my name is Taco, and I'm a talking dog with excellent penmanship who knows that I have poor impulse control but understands my limitations. And that, my friends, is a very good dog. Albeit one who has not quite as good a name as Dave. But you guys didn't tune in here to hear opinions on neighborhood dogs. If you wanted to do that, you could just check out the social media page Tweeters on Woofers. Which I imagine is where social media celebrities share their thoughts on dogs. Anyway, let's talk about a comic book, shall we? Without any further ado, let's... Uh, do this. Defenders, number 121, July, 1983. Savior. Written by J.M. DeMatteis and Don Perlin. Drawn by Don Perlin. Inked by Jack Abel and Andy Mushinsky and Alan Cooperberg. Lettered by Shelley Lefferman. Colored by nobody knows for sure and edited by Al Milgram. Defensive lineup. Son of Satan. Hellcat. Valkyrie. Beast. Gargoyle. And the sextet of dead psychics that hermit crabbed their way into the body of a space gladiator who we have come to know as Overmindy. 
previously in the Defenders. Diabolically Daddy Dugara Damien Hellstrom, aka Son of Satan, has been having a devil of a time lately. After a lifetime of struggling against the influence of the Dark Soul, the evil force that lives inside of him and gives him his magic powers, Damien saved the world by giving up his humanity and taking on an internship in hell with his perfidious papa. The initiation process proved to be an unsuccessful one, and it soon became apparent that the son of Satan wasn't cut out for the family business. Deciding to be a good guy again, the Hellborn hero returned to Earth and resumed superheroing alongside our titular non-team. Unfortunately, after a few interdimensional adventures, Damon began demonstrating that not being evil anymore wasn't the same thing as not being an asshole anymore. When Damon informed his non-teammate Patsy Walker, a.k.a. Hellcat, of his obsessive affection for her and received a somewhat non-committal response, the Satan-spawned superhero reacted violently and flew off in a snit. Seeking to return to his old life in academia as a professor of demonology, Damon fled to the campus of District University. He was dismayed to find that a benevolent demon had taken on his appearance and had been living his life to the fullest for him. After a violent confrontation during which he punched a pot of risotto from the hands of a pregnant colleague, Damon decided to leave his demonic doppelganger in peace, stumbling away from the campus in the throes of an identity crisis. He wandered aimlessly for a few weeks, but then found himself drawn to a monastery in rural Massachusetts, which was run by his former seminary school instructor, Father Gossett. Damon soon settled into monastic life where he enjoyed pondering metaphysics and pretending to fix tractors. He befriended an amnesiac monk named Brother Joshua. Damon and Joshua bonded over their shared love of pseudo-intellectual navel-gazing and secretly feeling they were better than everyone else. Late one night, Damon awoke to find a meditating Joshua aglow with a bright light. Damon approached his new buddy and Josh inadvertently zapped him with a painful bolt of mystical energy. Joshua snapped out of it and apologized, begging his pal not to tell the other monks as it might interfere with the monkly vows which he was scheduled to take the next day. Meanwhile, back in New York, Patsy Walker started having psychic premonitions that Damon was in grave danger. Beast attempted to patronizingly dismiss these concerns, but when Overmindy confirmed that Patsy was psychic as hell, the gang decided to borrow a Quinjet from the Avengers and head to Massachusetts to investigate. Back at the monastery, Joshua's monk quinceanera or whatever was about to begin, but it didn't go exactly as planned. As Josh started taking his vows, he became engulfed in a bright light. Suddenly, he was wearing tall yellow boots, a green speedo, and a billowing cape. Along with these sartorial changes, Joshua's amnesia was cured, and he now remembered that he was the Miracle Man, a nigh-omnipotent asshole who had once fought the Fantastic Four, murdered a tribe of Native Americans, and transformed a southwestern town into Biblical Bethlehem so that he could try to turn himself into the Baby Jesus. Apparently the ghosts of the natives he had murdered had wiped out his memory and sent him to this monastery, but his proximity to Damon's Dark Soul had awakened Josh's memories and powers. Miracle Man cackled evilly and started tossing monks into the air. Damon told him to knock it off, but Josh didn't want to knock it off, so instead he killed all of the monks and turned them into little piles of dust. Son of Satan thought that seemed mean and attacked his former friend, but Miracle Man sucked the Dark Soul out of Damon's tummy and put it in his tummy. 
The pentagram vanished from Son of Satan's chest and appeared on Josh's, signifying that our hellish hero was now helpless, and Miracle Man was double super omnipotent. Gadzooks! How will Damon Hellstrom get his satanic powers back? What will become of Damon's dark soul? And how will the Defenders react when they find that Miracle Man has murdered a monastery of monks and stolen Son of Satan's powers? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so he won't, at least not for several years. It just kind of wanders off. And they listen patiently to see if he has any ideas they might agree with. The Defenders are zooming through Massachusetts in their borrowed Quinjet when suddenly a skyscraper-sized statue of a monk blinks into existence directly in their flight path. Huh. Beast cranks the wheel and barely avoids crashing into the unexpected effigy. Then, another giant monk statue appears. Beast avoids that one as well, but when a third statue springs into existence, he crashes into that one and the jet is sent careening into a nearby snowbank. As far as crash landings go, this one seems to have been a relatively soft one, and the gang was able to emerge from the plane more or less unscathed. They try to clear their respective heads, and are surprised to find that the enormous statues have disappeared. They are even more surprised when a huge beast shaped like the Thundercats Cat's Lair playset that I coveted as a child forms itself out of the ice and snow and attacks them. Beast is like, Okay, so here's what we're going to do. Gargoyle, you siphon off some of this monster's life force. Over Mindy, you think at it just as hard as you can. Everyone else, adopt defensive positions, and I'll do a flip. Got it? Val is like, nah, fuck that. I'm gonna hit this thing with my sword. Val hits the ice monster, which now looks like a grumpy bear with a staircase growing out of its shoulders, with her sword. The creature changes its appearance again, this time looking briefly like a crystalline mechagodzilla, before collapsing to the ground. Hooray! Or not quite so hooray, because the enormous ice monster falls directly onto Overmindy. Oops. Fortunately, Overmindy is tough as shit. They telekinetically blast the formidable frozen foe off of themselves, shattering it into hundreds of ice boulders in the process. Val and Gargoyle hurry to shield their more vulnerable non-teammates from the falling debris. The gang manages to emerge from the frigid fracas with no more than a few scrapes and bruises, but Beast is super pissed off at Val for ignoring his orders. He's like, Damn it, Valkyrie! The X-Men never would have disobeyed orders like that. Neither would the Avengers have. Valkyrie holds out an empty palm and is like, Hank, allow me to present you with all the fucks I give about what your former teams would do. The Defenders are not a team, and we do not have a leader. Furthermore, if we did have a leader, I'm pretty sure it would be me. Hank is like, but Valkyrie, that hand was empty. Oh, oh, I get it. Overmindy interrupts the argument and is like, Um, hey guys, it looks like there's a monastery over there. Do you think we should go check it out? Patsy is like, my newly rediscovered psychic powers, which are my birthright as a red-haired comic book lady, inform me that, yes, we should go check it out. Damon is in there. The gang approaches the monastery. When they near the gates, the door swings open for them. Patsy is like, 
An automatically opening door? Something strange and sinister must be afoot. So, I guess Patsy's probably never been to the supermarket. The defenders head inside and find that the monks of the monastery are all seated around a large wooden table with tankards of ale in front of them and are about to feast on ham and turkey. The monks seem a little glassy-eyed and out of it, but are significantly less disintegrated than recent events might lead us to anticipate. A surprisingly gregarious miracle man greets our heroes and is like, Hey, what's up, Beast, Valkyrie, Overmindy, Gargoyle, and Hellcat? Glad you can make it. My name's Miracle Man. Would you like some carved meats? Patsy pulls Beast aside and whispers, Hey, I read about Miracle Man when I was an Avenger. Isn't he a nigh-omnipotent asshole who murdered the Native Americans who gave him his magic powers and then tried to take over the planet? Beast is like, Yeah, but let's hear him out. Miracle Man is like, You know, in addition to having nearly unfathomable nonsense powers, I also have pretty good hearing. And you're right, Patsy. I used to be a real piece of shit. But the time I spent here at the monastery has really mellowed me out and given me some perspective. Now, I'm a super cool guy. Gargoyle is like, Okay, whippersnapper, slow your roll. Before we start holding hands and dancing around the mulberry bush, how's about you tell us where our pal Son of Satan is? Miracle Man is like, Of course, he's right over here. He gestures towards an alcove which holds two surprisingly lifelike statues, one of which looks an awful lot like Damien Hellstrom. Overmindy is like, I don't want to be rude, but I'm pretty sure that's a statue, not a person. Gargoyle gets a little huffy and is like, Well, the two aren't necessarily mutually exclusive, you know. Miracle Man is like, No, no, Overmindy is quite correct. You see, when my memories first returned, I kind of lost my shit for a second, and, well, this is a little embarrassing. I kind of murdered everyone. Then I stole Damien's powers and turned him and Father Gossett into statues. Then I attacked you guys with giant statues and snow monsters. Total dick move on my part, I'm big enough to admit that. But, once I chilled out a little, I totally brought all the monks back to life. So, you know, no harm, no foul, am I right? The gang seems unconvinced. Miracle Man is like, sheesh, tough crowd. Look, tell you what, how's about I restore Father Gossett and Damien too? Will that make you happy? The allegedly contrite, speedo-clad supervillain snaps his fingers, and suddenly, Son of Satan and Father Gossett are de-statuified. Damon is pissed. He's like, Fellow defenders, I know this guy has a billowing cape and a pentagram tattooed on his bare chest, but don't let that fool you. He's a bad guy. Father Gossett is like, Now, Damon, don't be so harsh. I know you're upset that Brother Joshua turned us into statues and temporarily murdered all of our friends, but he's not evil. He's just a little mixed up is all. Miracle Man is like, I am neither evil nor mixed up. Here, I'll show you. He snaps his fingers once again, and he and the defenders are instantly transported halfway around the world. Patsy is like, where are we? Overmindy is like, 
My psychic nonsense powers somehow give me a pseudoscience version of GPS. Therefore, I can tell you that we are in Indonesia on the island of Java. Miracle Man is like, yup. Val is like, whatever. Can we just kill this guy already? Miracle Man is like, no, I don't think you can. But regardless, why would you want to when I can do so much good? See, in my time at the monastery, I learned that God kind of sucks at his job. People worship him and pray to him all the time, but the world is still kind of a shit show. But good news. Now that I'm as powerful as God, I'm going to do a way better job. Neat, huh? The defenders don't seem entirely convinced that Miracle Man taking over as God is in fact neat. But he continues. Now, sure, everything in America's great, and there's no inequality and nothing to fix there. Everyone nods in agreement at how true a statement that is. He goes on. So that's why I brought us here. This is Rinkaspatung. It's about 150 miles west of Jakarta. Overmindy is like, Yes, I knew that, because of my powers. Miracle Man is like, Sure you did. Anyway, as you can see, here there is poverty, malnutrition, and overpopulation. So I'm going to use my powers to save these people from themselves and make everything the way I think it should be. When he finishes his little Miracle Man's Burden speech, Miracle Man waggles his fingers at the town square and turns it into what looks like a kind of Spanish-style hacienda with a big fountain in the middle. The defenders are very impressed, but have mixed reactions to Miracle Man's proposed course of action. Hellcat and Beast seem to think that they should just let Miracle Man do whatever he wants. Valkyrie and Gargoyle object to it on theological grounds. Gargoyle is like, If these people are living in poverty, then that must be because God wants them to. Valkyrie is like, Look, Every time the Norse gods interfered with humanity, it went sideways, like, immediately. Do you want to have a Ragnarok? Because this is how you get a Ragnarok. Son of Satan is like, This guy is a fucking asshole. I don't say this very often, but I'm on Team Son of Satan here. Miracle Man brushes aside these concerns and uses his powers to create himself a huge ornate palace in the middle of the town square. He has all of the locals who are suffering from maladies of any kind line up so that he can use his powers to cure them. Everything goes great until he rolls up on a blind guy and is like, Okay, buddy, I'm gonna do a miracle and heal up those peepers of yours. The guy is like, Aw, thanks but no thanks. I'm good. I figure that if the gods want me to be blind, they must have a reason, and I'm okay with it. When Miracle Man hears this, he freaks the fuck out. He literally grows fangs and starts yelling at the guy and blasting him with mystical bolts of pure pain. Son of Satan is like, told you he was an asshole. Beast is like, okay, Overmindy, see if you can turn off his brain for a minute, will ya? Overmindy thinks at Miracle Man real hard for a second, but the would-be messiah is like, oh no you don't. He thinks right back at Overmindy so hard that it knocks them out. Beast starts yelling orders again, and again, Val ignores him. She runs at Miracle Man, magic sword in hand. 
Miracle Man animates a dozen or so swords and chuckles as he watches the Azir Amazon defend herself against the floating weapons. Beast and Hellcat launch an acrobatic assault on the maniacal Miracle Maker, while Gargoyle zaps him with biomystical life-sucking blasts. Son of Satan senses that some chicanery is afoot, but when he tries to shout out a warning to his non-teammates, he finds that Miracle Man has turned off his vocal cords as a prank. Too late, Gargoyle realizes that his senses had been altered and that for the last several seconds, his attacks had been sucking the life force out of Patsy and Hank rather than Miracle Man. Oops. Miracle Man starts gloating about what a good prankster he is. And for perhaps the first time since he first appeared in this comic title, Gargoyle gets pissed. He rears back with all his supernatural might and punches the living shit out of Miracle Man's stupid face. The nigh-omnipotent no-goodnik reels back in pain and surprise. Hooray! Cathartic though it may have been, Isaac's victory is short-lived. After taking a moment to process the fact that he has indeed been hurt, Miracle Man shakes off the blow and turns Gargoyle into a gargoyle of the more traditional sort. You know, the made-out-of-stone, non-moving-around variety. Bummer. Absolutely enraged that anyone would dare defy his benevolent reign of terror, Miracle Man starts destroying the town square, calling down bolts of lightning and shaking the very earth. Then he stops. A look of remorseful lucidity flutters across the face that has grown increasingly demonic over the course of the last few pages. For a second, he once again resembles the kind but arrogant monk that Damon knew as Brother Joshua. Joshua seems to be struggling to reassert control over the Dark Soul that he stole from Son of Satan. Damon takes advantage of the fact that his voice has been conveniently restored and calls out directly to the Dark Soul that is dominating Miracle Man's personality. The Hellspawned hero is like, Hey! Hey, Dark Soul! You want to get back together? Why don't you hop out of that guy and get back in my tummy? The Dark Soul responds and is like, What? No way! You were always thwarting me and suppressing my evilness! I can totally push this Josh guy around. Plus, he has way better magic powers than you. Damon is like, No, don't be like that. It'll be different this time, I promise. Look, I'll stop trying to be good. I'll move back to hell and help my dad run the joint, just like you always wanted. The Dark Soul wavers and is like, I don't know. Damon is like, Come on, Dark Soul, don't be like that. You know these humans can't make you happy the way I can. This guy is a mortal. You know how mortals are. They always have that divine spark of goodness in them. He's struggling against you now. It's only a matter of time before he wins. I'm Hellspawned. My dad's the devil. We were practically made for each other. The Dark Soul is like, If we get back together, you'll really move to hell and give in to your evil side and stop trying to thwart me? Damon is like, if that's what it takes to get you out of Joshua and back where you belong, then yes. The Dark Soul is like, oh, okay, I can't stay mad at you. The Dark Soul rises out of Miracle Man and prepares to enter Son of Satan. Patsy has been listening to this conversation. She thinks to herself, 
No, I can't let Damon do this. It turns out that for no apparent reason, I am totally in love with that self-aggrandizing jackass. I have to save him. Patsy uses her psychic powers to telepathically connect with Overmindy. Before the Dark Soul can descend into Damon's body, Overmindy and Patsy send out two powerful mental blasts to batter the demonic force. The Dark Soul shrieks in pain. Unable to reach its intended target, the embodiment of pure concentrated evil is forced to flee lest it be destroyed. It takes refuge in the body of a snake that was hanging out nearby and slithers off into the wilderness. Huh. Once the Dark Soul is gone, the Defenders and a newly penitent Brother Joshua find themselves back in the monastery. Overmindy is like, My narratively convenient mental powers inform me that once the Dark Soul was vanquished, everything Joshua did while it possessed him got instantly undone. Also, we are now in Massachusetts. Son of Satan is like, Wait. Miracle Man killed all the monks after he got his memories back, but before he got the Dark Soul. Does that mean they're still dead? Overmindy is like, Um, the thing is, you see, a lot of people don't realize this, but Massachusetts is technically not a state, but a commonwealth. Son of Satan is like, Is there any actual difference between a state and a commonwealth? Overmindy is like, um, no. And joining me once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, do you have any favorite words that you like to substitute for expletives if you're trying not to swear? Oh, jeez. Well, that, that, that would be one. Yeah. yeah, there you go. I was watching Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the movie from 1990. Oh, no. The other day. Better than you might expect. Really? The jokes are not good. Mm -hmm. But the, like, animatronics puppeteer stuff is actually really good. The cinematography is great. And there's some pretty fun stuff in it. But at one point, I think it's a cab driver or something, uses a substitute swear phrase that I was totally unfamiliar with. That delighted me. Hmm. He said, flip an egg. <laughs> Which is like, oh yeah, if you don't want to say fucking A, flip mm -hmm. an egg. Flip an egg. Pretty good. Not bad. There was a period when I was in high school, when I was playing tennis, and anytime you swore while you were on the court, oh, I, I just started to say you had to pay a fine, but I don't think it worked that way. You probably had to run laps or something. Right. Either way, it was something I didn't want to do. Mm -hmm. So... I did briefly train myself to use the word poop or poopies instead of shit, <laughs> which worked okay, but it did lead to a situation where as soon as the season ended, I had a very confusing default setting where I would often end up using the phrase fucking poopies. Oh. Yeah. Mm. Which was weird. Yeah. You don't want to go full Flanders, but. Right. Yeah. You know what I think would be a good substitute swear? Hmm. Beezus and Ramona. Jesus and Ramona. Yeah. Oh. Doesn't that sound like, like a... Ra Ramona Quimby? Yeah, age eight. Mm. I mean, she's not anymore, but yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. There was a guy who was so annoying that sat on the opposite side of the cubicle wall from me, and his desk was facing my desk, so 
it was like somebody like you and I are talking right now. Like mm-hmm. it's it's just right there, unavoidable. And um, he would not swear, but he would have lots of like substitute swears. One time he said, "Mother turkey wings." Oh. Another time, and I don't know if this one has negative implications or not. It sounds like it does, but it would say, um, son of a goat herder instead of like SOB. Yeah. It's one it of those feels where it's like, racist. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know that it is racist, but it it feels it. Mm-hmm. Was, he had other ones too, something about a beehive. I was tweeting him for a while. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I don't, they're probably not around anymore. <laughs> I would just, he would say it. I would just write it down. Boop, send it off. I think my favorite example of trying to do that was, as you know, I used to uh, play in a hip hop band for for quite some time, and we played at a five year old's birthday party. Mm-hmm. It was like a paid gig, mm-hmm. very exciting. Oh yeah, and we had to edit all of our lyrics because we swore a lot. Mm-hmm. At the end of one of our songs was a line where one of the other guys in the band, Brian, would say. Put me in the studio, I shit the hits. Mm-hmm. And he got to that part, and he just flubbed it a little bit. And so he ended up saying, put me in the studio, I poop the shits. <laughs> that was like your uh, fucking boopies. It was. Situation. Except it was widely acclaimed by the audience. The five-year-olds <laughs> loved that shit. Oh, I bet. We were, we were like huge rock stars for the day. It oh, was yeah. pretty good. That sounds nice. Mm-hmm. Later that day, uh, another little kid spilled some grape juice on me, mm-hmm. and his mom was like, oh, I'm so sorry about him. And it's like, don't worry, I know what it's like. And she's like, oh, do you have kids? I was like, no, but I've got a drummer. <laughs> Zing. <laughs> well, Corey, you want to talk about this comic? Yeah, why not? Corey, what did you think of this comic? I liked it pretty good, actually. Really? Yeah. I didn't. I felt like it was kind of a mess. What did you like about it? I don't know. I feel like it just did in a short turn what it set out to do. Granted, taking like the entire driving force behind a character since I've known him and putting it into a snake (laughs) seems like kind of a hacky way to get out of it. Yeah, especially that it's like, oh, well, it's a Satan thing. So he turns into a snake. Kind of like the end of The Departed, where... Oh, there's a rat running across the screen oh, because mm-hmm. Matt Damon was a rat. Yeah. Get it? Yeah. Yeah, pretty good. Yeah, I like just the succinctness and kind of put a little bow on it, but I was also pretty troubled by the Indonesian, like, white man's burden messiah complex Yeah, stuff. there was a ton of really fucked up, like, colonialism and implicitly racist shit happening in this that I think could have been tweaked a little bit if it was trying to make a connection between Miracle Man's actions and Western colonialism, then it would almost make sense. But it needed to make that explicit, and it didn't. And so you're left with the impression that, oh, these poor brown people just can't take care of themselves. What a shame. I guess that's the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, and it's... To your point, it would have been good to kind of use... The Miracle Man character as a, a focal point for what was messed up in that. But that stuff was supported by the exposition boxes, right? Where it's basically like, well, if these brown people wouldn't have so many babies. 
yeah. they'd have enough food. Yeah, and what they need to make explicit is that the reason that that region is having the problems that they are is specifically because of Dutch colonialism. Like, this is the result of hundreds of years of colonialism, where Westerners came in and insisted that they switch over which crops they were growing, like forbid the locals to grow rice or sustenance foods because they could make more money selling sugar and coffee and took over the country and did that. And this is the result of that. Yeah, spices too, right? The spice trade was huge mm -hmm. the Dutch. And it just doesn't mention that. And so, yeah, you really are left to assume like, oh boy, why can't we as Westerners go in and fix things for these poor people who can't take care of themselves, mm -hmm. who have made all these horrible mistakes? And that was really, really uncomfortable, and it bothered me a lot, especially, like, the specific setting that they chose, the city of Renkespatung. Mm -hmm. It's a city that's known for two things, as near as my very rudimentary research showed up. The first one, it is the birthplace of Eddie and Alex Van Halen's mom. The other thing is that it was where the author Edward Decker... Mm -hmm who wrote under the name Multatuli, which I am probably mispronouncing. It is a Latin phrase that means, I have suffered much. Oh. But he wrote a novel criticizing Dutch colonialism, which is why now there is a, an anti-colonialist museum dedicated to him in that city. Mm. And so to choose that as your location and then not mention colonialism just seems fucked up. Yeah. So that was one of the problems that I had with the issue. I think even discounting that, though, it, to me, just felt like it was kind of slapdash in a lot of ways. We, again, have the three-inker team on this. It is a different three-inkers. Two of them are the same, but uh, Kim DeMolder is not doing the inks, and Alan Cooperberg, I think, is instead. Mm -hmm. And it felt a lot less cohesive than the last issue in terms of the art. The story also felt a little bit less cohesive, and it was also a collaborative effort. Like, I mean, every comic is a collaborative effort, but it was credited to being co-plotted by Demetrius and Perlin, which is a different creative process than most of the books they've done together are, which leads me to believe that there is some last-minute changes made to it or some kind of haste. Uh, it seems like this story was heading in one direction, and then... There are a lot of different right turns and U-turns that happen in this issue. And then they put the bow on it at the end with, and then the demon's a snake. Yeah. An aspect of it that I appreciated was in the absence of, you know, Steve's leadership. Let's call it that, even though they're not supposed to be mm -hmm. a, a team or whatever. There is this little bit of a power vacuum. And it's fun to see the way that, well, maybe fun's not the right word. <laughs> like, it's pretty annoying. To see the way that Beast is saying, we have to work as a team. We have to do things coordinated. Come on, guys, let's do this collectively. And, and Val's just like, I'm going to go fuck shit up right now. Yeah. I don't know. This idea that in order for a super team to work, you do need centralized leadership, even though they're supposed to be this like flat organization <laughs> without a leader. That was kind of fun to see that be played with. It's just the way that Beast went about trying to like patronizingly explain that to Val and then the way she turned it back and like patted him on the head and said, well, I should be the boss if we're gonna. Yeah. You know, 
I was really frustrated by Beast in this issue, especially because he is new to the team and specifically came to it with the idea that, you know what I like about this organization? There's no leadership and it's less codified. And now he's like, when I was on the Avengers, we did things this way. When I was on the X-Men, we did things this way. So I'm just going to be in charge. And it's really fucking frustrating. It's also really frustrating. I feel like the writing around Val has taken a step backwards. I don't think we're supposed to be frustrated with Beast. I think we're supposed to see Val as being kind of a loose cannon in this situation. Or maybe somewhere in the middle. But I am pretty strongly on Team Val for the most part. It, it seems odd to me that she would be less of a tactician and less familiar with the concept of teamwork now that she has her thousands of years of memories back of her leading a team of superpowered beings, the Valkyrior. Like, she should be the leader if there's going to be a leader. She has more experience. Mm -hmm. She has leadership experience. And that element of her character is not on display at all. Yeah, and I, I think the, the frustrating thing is that you are left with this you know, well, she's a lady, so she's going to make emotional decisions. Yeah. But I don't know, seeing that sort of debate and dynamic play out, you know, the, the problems with it aside from a character standpoint was, mm -hmm. you know, it was kind of interesting for me. I can appreciate that. I wish I understood what tack the comic book was taking with it more. I like having the Defenders be a little bit in disarray, but I don't know. I wish there was more of the comic book agreeing that Beast is being a prick, and I don't think we're necessarily supposed to get that from this. But he was a condescending prick in the last issue. He's being a condescending prick in this issue, and he's also specifically doing it in a way that rankles me in today time, because he's doing the, uh, well, okay, yes, Miracle Man is a genocidal maniac who murdered a whole tribe of Native Americans, but let's hear him out! Maybe he's got some good points. We'll meet him in the marketplace of free ideas. And Val's like, no, we should fucking punch him. And my knee-jerk thing is like, yeah, fucking punch that guy. Mm -hmm. He's murdered a bunch of people and has enslaved all of these monks and is subjugating them to his will. Well, let's see if he does anything evil before we step in. Yeah, and I think the debate is also framed in terms of yeah, he did that fucked up shit, but what if he can uh, feed all these people? Mm-hmm. You know, it's a it's a weird one, right? Because they touch on interesting territory, which is what are the compromises that a, a society is willing to make for potentially greater good, right? Mm -hmm. What are the trade-offs? And, like, is it worth it? Is it not worth it? And I feel like they kind of open the door to that a little bit and then just, just slam it shut. Yeah, just like, slam it shut in terms of just like, but never mind all that shit. We don't actually need to think about this because he just grew fangs on a widow's peak and is threatening to eat a blind guy. Mm -hmm. So I guess now they can do stuff. And I don't know. I, I would like it if instead of just raising the issues, took a stand on one side of them. You know? Yeah, other than, well, murdering all those monks was like, I don't know, maybe he was confused or something, but he was really mean to that blind guy, so let's <laughs> fuck him up. Yeah. Well, he did bring the monks back. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, those hollow-eyed partiers. <laughs> but he gave them a ham, so it's a trade-off. And a turkey. Yeah, ham yeah. and turkey? Looked like a good party. That's a monk party. Yeah. Hell yeah, that's some, like, red wall shit. Oh yeah, they got uh, probably some Trappist ale. 
I would imagine so. Nice, I mean, uh, crusty bread. Yeah, they're fading here. Damn, having a real fate. Mm, that's monk for uh, for party, right? It's a word that got used in this F E T E. Apparently, it's pronounced fate, but uh, it's a feast that is thrown in honor of somebody. Uh, I just wanted to use my word a day calendar from this issue, and uh, nice done and done. In addition to the disjointed nature and the colonialism, there was another thing I disliked about this issue, mm. and that was that it seemed to be retreading a lot of the themes and plot of what I think of as a relatively recent Defenders issue. This one's called Savior. It's an awful lot like the issue Messiah, which had Devil Slayer and the guy who thought he was the new Jesus. And mm. he was really being tricked by demons, and they were using him to make their own goals happen. And then at the end, he fought the evil inside of him and sacrificed himself. Seems like a kind of, it, it's subtle, but there are some similarities. <laughs> Nothing here. new under the sun, my friend. <laughs> I know, but it's the same writer and the same comic book, and it wasn't that long ago. Yeah, but this guy's got a green cape. Okay, he does have a green cape. David, if David had a green cape, maybe he would have survived. Mm -hmm. Good point. Thank you. And this is... Uh, and tall boots and a tight speedo. <laughs> he does indeed. <laughs> Don't forget those. That's how you have to answer interview questions. Yeah. Yeah. All of them doesn't matter. Where do <laughs> yeah. you see yourself in five years? Oh. <laughs> Wearing a tight speedo and a big cape. And uh, tall, tall boots. boots. Sorry. Tall boots. Tall boots and a tight Speedo. Yeah, that's all you need. Mm -hmm. Cape is optional. I mean, I like to go the extra mile. That's why I think I should have this job. The other reason? Hmm. My tall boots and tight Speedo. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a lot of arguing on the team. And you see it kind of breaking down along similar lines. They are taking sides. But I do like that it's not like the people that are kind of agreeing with Beast necessarily agree with him all the way like there are different angles that they are taking on it and i like that element of the team dissension it is weird to see it kind of break down along the lines of well we need to be either libertarians or calvinists <laughs> like it's like well maybe we should just leave these people alone because that's how god wants it that's kind of uh mm. i'm sorry i should have uh well, maybe we should just leave people alone because that's how God wants it. Or make a deal with a demon. <laughs> oh, wait. I've contradicted myself. Oh, I contain multitudes. <laughs> oh, I could just kill a man. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, you don't want to let Miracle Man take over shit because he's a douche. But also, like... I don't know, the whole, well, if they're suffering and in poverty, God must want them that way. And then Val's argument that was like, no, no, we just need to leave them all alone because if we were supposed to involve ourselves, then Odin would have done a better job doing this. So, you know, leave them to it. She does also, I feel like, hint at, well, Odin tried this before and shit went sideways big time. Mm -hmm. Which I don't know if that's canonical or just convenient for the issue, but... I mean, Odin fucking up a lot is pretty canonical. Yeah, that's true. That guy. The gods who couldn't shoot straight. <laughs> the story of Norse mythology. <laughs> they were drunk. <laughs> <laughs> Tough but fair. 
Meat is terrible. <laughs> oh, it's awful. It's awful. I've been twice to the Weird Meat and Leatherworks. That's the name of the business. <laughs> <laughs> By my house. You should have seen his face, you guys, when I said that. His eyebrows hit the ceiling. Yeah. They sell, like, wallets and, like, it's a medieval-themed kind of, mm -hmm. like, that sort of leatherworks, not the kinky kind. And they sell mead. And I have tried, because I'm a fool, well, maybe five, ten different kinds, and none of them that's are, are good. way more of a fair shake than I have ever or would ever give me. It's two flights. Each oh, okay. Each, each time okay. I went and I did a flight, not like a full thing. Corey, I'm taking one flight away from the mead store. You don't want to come to Weird Leather and Mead Works with me? Well, I do kind of when you say it that way. <laughs> It's kind of cool. It's like a, get a sort of Game of Thrones feel. It's in the basement of this uh, building, and there's a fireplace. And Do they hand you, like, a giant turkey leg when you go in? No, but there is a, uh, a taco truck outside. You can bring the tacos inside. Oh. Uh -huh. And no, meat is bad. <laughs> Stop trying to fool me. Okay. <laughs> what were we talking about? I don't remember. Rene Descartes. Ah, oh, fuck that guy. This, uh, this whole Dark Soul thing is like, <laughs> is that the evil demon? Oh, it probably is. He was big on demons. Mm -hmm. the, the evil demon that convinces you that, is this real? This is real, man. You know? Yeah. That was his thing, wasn't That was him? Yeah, like the, I can conceive in my mind of a perfect god, therefore there is one. Right. What a fucking dumbass. Gotta hate Descartes. You know what I bet he likes? I bet he thinks meat is pretty good. Oh, he loves it. Can't get enough of it. He's like, well, I wish they would just move the taco truck. That's the one part I don't like about this. <laughs> Go fuck yourself, Rene Descartes. You and your evil demon. Thanks for the Cartesian graphing system, though. It's pretty good. Guess they'll use an XY give him, axis. Give, give, give him that. Yeah. yeah. So, one of the main takeaways we get at the end of this issue is that Patsy now loves Son of Satan. Kind of an abrupt turnaround on her part. And also, now Son of Satan is all the way human. So I guess they're going to be in love? Boring. Yeah. It's, I'm just still so mad at him for pushing her down and being an unreasonable jerk. Yeah, he was awful. And I guess in this, they're like, well, he doesn't have the dark soul in him, so he, he wouldn't do that again. I guess, but it's not satisfying. And... I think that is one of the big problems I have with this issue, because I haven't mentioned any others yet, <laughs> is it seems like they want to clear some pieces off the board here. And I, I think there may have been an editorial mandate for this, because we see at the end of this, they're going to bring in Iceman. And in the letters column, they're also mentioned that they're also going to bring in Angel and Moondragon pretty soon. And I'm happy about that. But it seems like this conclusion is not the story that was being set up. And this is more of a like, well, we need to wrap up everything that we have been doing because we're going to make some big changes in the book. Man, I don't care. I'm so fucking sick of Son of Satan's shit. If this is the way we get an end to his shit, fine. Yeah, but I don't want Patsy to be stuck with him because I like her. Oh, she's got a good head on her shoulder. She'll be fine. You know, it's like a lot, like you have a friend that's dating somebody that's a jerk and they like him and you're just like, just wait it out. 
I mean, I guess depending on the level of jerkiness. Well, especially it did seem like it was setting it up that it had the earmarks at least of a potentially abusive relationship. Yeah, that's true. In I guess, terms of his entitlement and physical violence. Where I was going with that was like separating out my feelings of I think this person's a jerk versus are they actually treating your friend in a bad way. Sure. Right? So that said, in this case, yeah, fuck that guy. Yeah. I am excited to have Iceman join the comic book. Iceman. He's what it says on the tin. He's a guy who's made out of ice who can make ice. His name's Bobby Drake. He was one of Spider-Man and his amazing friends oh, on the old cartoon. Yeah, yeah, he was yeah. also one of the original X-Men, along with Beast and Angel. Yeah, shit. That brings back some old memories. He was my favorite character on Spider-Man and his amazing friends. And I think when this comic came out, that was a pretty popular show and one of the few non-comic book appearances of a Marvel superhero mm. at the time. And he wasn't in any books at the time. So I think editorial may have been like, look, we need to put this guy on in a book. We don't know if he can get his own title yet. Uh, about a year after this, J.M. DeMatteis would write a nice man miniseries. But I think they wanted to get him on a team because he had some media exposure. And... I understand that, and I'm excited about Iceman. I liked how he made those dumb little ice slides everywhere he went. That seems like they would be a huge pain in the butt to clean up. Well, they would melt. Yeah, and then you'd just have a huge puddle of water in the middle of New York City or wherever it was he was going. Like, th this seems like they're, they're making traffic problems. Yes, they will melt eventually, but they're solid ice. It's going to take it a while to melt. Well, I mean, they never really went into that, right? It could be some magic ice that just turns, like, dry ice, where it's, it just it's turns not... into... Corey's not magic, he's a mutant. It's science ice. Okay, so like dry ice that turns into vapor rather than leaving um, puddles. Ooh, can he make dry ice? I bet, man. Can you, like, life of the party. Right? Oh, no kidding. You are going to have fucking novelty witches brew cocktails all the time with that guy. Mm -hmm. Man, Steve is going to love that. Oh, yeah. All right. I love this issue now. He's going to bring Iceman to there us. There you go. And then they can all have fun witches brew. Mm. So, when Son of Satan does his act of self-sacrifice, his big grand gesture, do you think he was bluffing? Because he, he says, okay, Dark Soul, you can get in me and then I'll be a good bad boy and go back to my internship in hell and we'll rule it alongside my dad. And that sucks the Dark Soul, and he's like, oh, okay. We've seen before, Damon can't do that job. Well, he's objectively terrible at it. And he got kicked out last time he did it because he was so bad at it. Yeah, no, I took it at face value. I think he was just being a, a dummo. He thinks <laughs> he, he can like, do it? You know, hey, third time's the charm. <sighs> I don't think he could get that job anymore. Let alone do the job. So you think he was uh, outfoxing the Dark Soul? But like, this dummo doesn't know that I am really bad at that job. Yeah, he's gonna be like, sucker. Oh, I tried to get my job running hell with my dad, but uh, looks like you're stuck inside my tummy again, Dark Soul. Ha <laughs> ha! I don't know. I think it would make sense if he was doing that. I don't think Damon is smart enough to do that. And I also don't think he is aware of his failings enough to do that. Hub, he is a tenured professor. <laughs> Touche. No, I think it's like a while ago, my sister was talking about like future plans for something and she was just like, well, you know what? If I have to, I will do whatever. I'll get a job waiting tables. And I was like, hmm, 
You can't get a job waiting tables. <laughs> you can't just do that. Nobody's going to hire a, like, at the time, like, a 35-year-old server with no experience who's never worked in the industry. I think that's what David's saying. He's like, well, fine. I'll just, you know, my fallback plan is I'll get a job running hell. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, you tried that. You can't do it. Man, I had a, a similar thing in my, I think in my, like, mid-30s where I was like, okay, I'm sick of working in tech. I'm sick of offices. I like building shit, so I'll just go get a job as a builder. Uh-huh. And I had some experience, but I did have a couple distinct interactions with, with the hiring folks who were just like, you are going to do this for a month <laughs> and then go back to your cushy software job. So you can see it going that way, too. Yeah. I can see that Dark Soul being pretty darn disappointed if he had managed to climb into Son of Satan's body. Because mm-hmm. once he's in, he's in, right? He can't get out unless... That, yeah. that was the other thing that was a little fuzzy for me about how is, like, you can just extract it if you're powerful enough. Like, Miracle Man had basically omnipotent powers, and then the Dark Soul gave him, like, double super omnipotence, but also evil. And so that was how he was able to get in there. Mm. Which it doesn't make sense why he would want to leave. Because Son of Satan's argument is just like, no, because inside every human there is some spark of divine goodness. And so he'll kick you out sooner or later. You should climb into me because I'm only half human. I only have half a spark. But also Mm -hmm. his dad is both the devil and God. Like... The Dark Soul was there when they had that conversation. I don't know if the Dark Soul has amnesia about it the way Son of Satan does, but it seems like he might. Is this the first time that we're introduced to the Dark Soul as having its own separate consciousness? Yeah, I think so. Because that's also weird, right? Like, normally it was just like, okay, Son of Satan gets pissed off and... Yeah, it's his dark side, not like a separate dude that lives inside his soul tiny. It wasn't a raven situation before. Oh, it's just out of control, uh, what's that thing called? The id. Yeah. The bad id. It's just, he's being an asshole. Yeah. I wonder, honestly, to what extent that is the result of this issue being maybe something akin to an exquisite corpse. Like, I think it was written maybe more in the Marvel method style, where brief conversation about the plot between the writer and artist, and then the artist goes and draws the whole thing, and the writer comes back and fills in the word bubbles. This is all speculation on my part. Uh, I am getting a lot of mileage out of the co-plotted by them Mm -hmm. and just the kind of disjointed feel of the book. But it has that kind of tone to it, where it's like, oh, here's what's happening in this picture. Um, Okay, I'll try to write in and make that make sense. You know? Mm -hmm. A lot of my favorite, like, really goofy Silver Age comics were written in a really interesting way where it was almost like a dare. Like, the artist would draw the cover and it would be this ridiculous situation where it's like, why is Superman 900 pounds and punching Jimmy Olsen in the tummy? And then the writer would have to make a story out of that cover and be like, okay, so here's how we got to that point. Oh, that's fun. It is kind of fun. And a lot of those issues are a lot of fun. But this comic almost has a similar feel to it. I think maybe one of the reasons this, this one appealed to me more than you is the cover. Like, when I looked at that, I was like, oh boy, we're, we're in for a treat here. We got a very, very heavy metal Miracle Man pose in the middle. We got a Devil Slayer pointing a finger and a fist 
I said, Corey, it's not Devil Slayer. You keep calling him Devil he's Slayer. He's such a dick. <laughs> I know. He's, he's a devil-themed dude who is an asshole and has a kid. It's, I'm, I get it. I have only so much space in my brain. That's fair. Son of Satan mm-hmm. is pointing threateningly a fist and a finger at uh, Miracle Man. And then you got what looked like the devil. I thought it was the devil was going to be in this issue. Yeah. Looming behind Miracle Man. My favorite touch in it is that Gargoyle gets turned into an actual gargoyle. Mm-hmm. Like he's made of stone. Mm-hmm. And that does happen in the issue. Which was a very fun moment. I think maybe, honestly, though, my favorite moment in the comic is when Gargoyle gets pissed and punches Miracle Man in the face. Like, losing his shit Gargoyle was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. I like, too, that he externally processes the losing of his shit. Now you've made me mad! (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. And each word gets its own word bubble. Yeah. That was pretty cool. I liked that. And then just, like, I haven't experimented with punching before. Dex's an omnipotent guy and makes his face scrunch up like he's Sylvester Stallone getting punched in the face. Who acknowledges that he has been hurt. Yeah. After that, that was a good punch. Uh Uh-huh. Nice job, Gargoyle. Yeah, not bad. The first couple of pages were maybe some of the more confusing in the issue. Did you see any reasoning behind the giant statues of the monks appearing and the plane crashing into them? Or why the ice monster kept turning from, like, a bear with terrible posture into the Thundercats PlayStation and then into Godzilla. Put yourself in Miracle Man's shoes, okay? So you've just vanquished a bunch of monks. Uh-huh. You're, you know, half a barrel deep into some Trappist ale. <laughs> These guys are coming in in their Quinjet to fuck with you. You know, that'd be fun, right? Just erect some <laughs> giant monk statues for them to crash into. Sure. Ice, bear cat, thundercat thing, whatever. I don't give a fuck. Like, oh, it's a Godzilla. No, 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 no. It's the, uh, the Thundercat secret <laughs> oh, wait, wait, base. wait, you guys, you guys, you guys. Look at this, look at this. This is a bear with a staircase on its butt. Cool, right? Yeah. So it was just a confused slash having fun and lashing out, and that's why, I don't know, 40-foot monk statues, and then by the time that they get there, he's like, okay, calm down now. Yeah, sorry, guys. You want some ham? Turkey? Mead? No, thank you. Corey, was there anything else you wanted to bring up before we move into the minutia? No, I think we've covered enough. <laughs> All right. Rick, would you mind singing us in? We got minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutia. Like Corey eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. So, Corey, what category do you feel like starting off with? You want to talk about clothes? Yeah. Sartorially speaking, which elements of fashion in this book did you find most noteworthy? I had difficulty picking some out, so what I went with was, you know, kind of the most troubling bit that we've already talked about, which was uh, the depiction of the folks in Java. And in particular, I think it's uh, called a a copia that looks like a fez, which is the hat that the Muslim guys wear. Like, well, they they got that right. There was that. There was one guy wearing, like, a bucket hat with a nice band around it, mm-hmm. and uh, he was smoking a weird-shaped pipe. Mm-hmm. He seemed like he was cool. Yeah, he was chill. Yeah. The fashion that I noticed most in this, one is one that has come up before, but different artists seem to have different levels of interest in 
drawing Patsy's eyebrows on her cowl. And this one, it was a more pronounced one. They seemed full on like Adam West Batman style yellow eyebrows drawn onto her cowl. And I thought it was kind of fun. I like too that they are somehow expressive. Mm -hmm. They're not like painted onto the exterior of the cowl. They are somehow connected to her actual eyebrows. I wonder if it's like a woolly willy situation where they're made out of like yellow iron filings. And she's like using magnets to make them go up and down. Depending on her level of surprise or annoyance. That sounds complicated. Well, she's a clever lady. Mm. I also noticed that Miracle Man has a level of widow's peak that fluctuates with his degree of evil. Oh, sure, yeah. You're right. Probably could go without saying, but it didn't, because I just said it. When he gets evil, he grows fangs, like Dracula fangs, Mm -hmm. and his widow peak gets pointier. Oh, yeah. And uh, I thought that was interesting to note. The tonsure that he had is gone. The shitty monk haircut that he had. Because it isn't just the tonsure. They also look like they were just hitting their heads multi-ball with a pair of scissors. Mm-hmm. And that was the Brother Joshua look, but now that he's Miracle Man again, it gets pointy until he starts to be like, maybe I shouldn't be evil. Maybe I shouldn't, I don't know, turn this Indonesian village into a Spanish hacienda. Because <laughs> clearly the problem with this city is it doesn't have enough colonialism. We need a different kind of colonialism. What you guys need is a nice fountain. Yeah. Let's have ourselves a Battle of the Band Names What band names were you able to find in the text of this comic? So, first one is a street performer Often found uh, busking in various parks around downtown Portland Mm. Who goes by the moniker Hot Dog Hank Who? I like Hot Dog Hank. Yeah, he's got like one of those, uh, what do you call it? Like the, it's got the symbol and the... Like the one-man band rig? Yeah, when you stamp, you stomp and it... Mm-hmm. Maybe he's got an accordion as part of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. guitar. Yeah, do you remember Workin' Kirk? Mm-mm. He was the guy who would be outside Powell's books often in the white tuxedo and the Mickey Mouse hat playing the keyboard. Oh, yeah, yeah, on the Burnside Bridge too sometimes, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. There's him, there's Old Town Elvis, and now there's Hot Dog Hank. Hot Dog Hank. Not bad. I actually just have the one band name. They're called Granite Gargantua. Oh, shit. You had that too? I did. Okay, well, I guess that's the one we're going with. It's the wiener. I think they are a New Hampshire super group (laughs) that has members of all of the 90s indie bands from Southeast New Hampshire. Are there any bands from Southeast New Hampshire that were not indie bands? <laughs> no, not that I'm aware of, <laughs> but there were a lot of bands. That's so true. you're going to have members of, let's see, Heavens to Murgatroyd. Thanks to Gravity. Mood Boot Lover. Groove Child. Fly Spinach Fly. The Bruisers. The Choosy Moms. Did you say Moon Boot Lover already? I did. I like that one. Yeah. The Queers. Uh-huh. Uh, Gandhi's Lunchbox. I'm trying to think. I can't believe we ran out already. Was the, the one that's like a, sounds like a, words from a different language, like two of them. Bim Scala Bim. That was not it, but that was one. Okay. Let's see. Somehow that is all I've stored in oh. from 90s New Hampshire bands. The Soul Chemists. 
Oh, that's a good name. Yeah, it's not bad. Twinkasaurus Rex. Oh, is that one? I don't know if they actually recorded anything, but that was a, I had a roommate who was in that band, and they, uh, they threw Twinkies out at the audience. That was their gimmick. Okay. Scott Rodham. That was a high school Scott <laughs> band. Oh, shit. And, of course, the Nitro Vernon Funny Cars. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, members of all of those bands get together, and they are a real granite gargantua. They started to be called oh, Granite State Gargantua, yeah, yeah, yeah. but uh, yes, 90s Southeast New Hampshire supergroup, Granite Gargantua. Love it. I do too. I just want to lace up my old combat boots and go down to the Memorial Union building at the University of New Hampshire and see those guys play. Corey, I hate to say it, but I think this band might be too big for the mob. What? I think they might be playing at Snively. Oh, shit. The hockey arena for UNH, where I did see Fly Spinach Fly play with Fishbone and Queen Latifah. Go Wildcats. And go Granite Gargantua. Nice. (laughs) Queen Latifah must have been like, what the fuck am I doing So at one point, Queen Latifah did dedicate a song to all of the black brothers in the audience. And I was like, do you mean Fishbone? That's going to be Fishbone. (laughs) Yeah, because you are in a hockey arena in Durham, New Hampshire. Yeah, ouch. This is a really good show. I bet. Yeah. Corey, every issue of a Defenders comic has a best defender and also a worst offender. In this issue, who was your best defender and who was your worst offender? Uh, For best, I went with Patsy. She ultimately was responsible for getting that uh, bow put on this whole Dark Soul thing and sticking Mm. it in a snake. And she had a nicely expressive eyebrows. She did have nicely expressive eyebrows. I went with Valkyrie. I know we're not supposed to be on her side in this, but fuck it. That guy's evil. Punch him. Punch him. Don't Mm -hmm. debate him. He doesn't have a valid standpoint. He is actively doing harm. Val was on the shortlist for me, too. I also, I liked the way that she turned Beast's patronizingness around and patted him on the head uh-huh. like a little boy and <laughs> said, I should be your boss. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. I liked how after Over Mindy did the thing where they blew up the snow monster like it was a beached whale in Oregon in the 70s <laughs> and chunks of it just fall down on the defenders. Valkyrie is like, I'll protect you all. And it looks like waves are sorted around between the chunks and lets just all of the chunks fall on everybody. I thought that was pretty funny. That was pretty funny. I liked her and I didn't like Beast. I thought he was being a condescending prick who is new on the team and shouldn't be ordering them around. And that's why my worst offender is Beast. I had him for the same reason. What a chump. It's a shame because he's... Normal, like, funny blend of erudition and happy-go-lucky goofiness. He does say, oh, my stars and garters, which is I like that he says that. But yeah, it was kind of a bummer to see him talking down to Val so much. Yeah, it's an abrupt about-face in the last issue in this one that he is taking that stance, and I'm annoyed by it. Mm -hmm. He does seem like he's the kind of guy who might say, Beezus and Ramona! Like, that's that's along the lines of Oh My Stars and Garters. Yeah, that's, that's pretty good. So that's nice. And you, you get some good one-liners off in this, even so. But, uh, yeah, I was pretty annoyed by him. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of getting some good lines off, Corey, what was your pie not made out of steel in this issue? 
What words did you like best, much like you would like a pie if it were not made out of steel? I liked the opening of the story that kind of sets the tone, and it says, A borrowed Avengers Quinjet arcs low over the Massachusetts woods, its chrome gleaming against a gray, cloud-covered sky. Mm. And uh, the panel that that goes with, there's these big drifts of snow and, you know, naked trees, and I had this, like... Happy, nostalgic feeling for winter in New England when I saw yeah, it. pretty good. I had a couple to choose from. One of them actually does come from Beast. When he is cowering as Val is, I believe, pretending to chop up the frozen whale chunks before they bounce off his head, he says... How does your brain work? That never would have occurred to me. <laughs> well, if, if you blow something up and are like, oh shit, I didn't think about the pieces coming down again, mm -hmm. it goes to Beached Whale. Yeah, yeah. that's fair. Okay. But as he cowers, Beast says, maybe mom was right. Maybe I should have been a CPA. Mm -hmm. It's a fun line. I mean, if I can put on my nerd hat for a second and not be the cool, cool guy that you think of me as, <laughs> I will say, actually, it's Iceman who was trained to be a CPA, not the Beast. Oh, really? Yeah. But still, pretty good line. Not bad. My other favorite line comes from Gargoyle. We talked about it the moment where he punches Miracle Man in the face. He says, you just made me mad. <laughs> punches him in the face with a big wham and follows it up with, I was never much for fisticuffs and I'm only beginning to figure out just how strong this gargoyle body really is. But I'm betting it's strong enough to belt you clean back to Massachusetts. It's a long belt. Uh-huh. Or in Indonesia. Yeah, wicked far. Uh-huh. Can't get there from here. <laughs> Not unless Gargoyle punches you in the goddamn face. What was your favorite sound effect? Crunk! <laughs> there are a lot of really good sound effects in this issue. Where was Crunk from? Or, I'm sorry, was your exclamation of Crunk not related to the comic book? Were you just thinking about Tommy the Hip Hop Clown? It's on uh, page two, and it's when uh, the Quinjet crashes into the thigh of one of those giant monk statues. Pretty good. Crunk. I have a different hip-hop-adjacent word from that same page. When the Quinjet shoop. crashes, shoop. it says, shoop. Nice. Yep. Yep, I had that too. Mm -hmm. It was kind of a, a duo, crunk, shoop. Both of those are very nice. I also liked the shaku. I also had that. And I liked the... I think I saw them play with Scarota. <laughs> they might have. And probably Bim Scalabim. Probably. Maybe Mustard Plug was there. Oh. Uh, was later, though. I mean, they also are in Minnesota, so... Well, it doesn't mean they can't. If we're going to go back and forth mentioning... No, that's name, not, Naming that's 90 not. ska bands that could be here no, all let's, goddamn Let's day. not do that. All right. Sorry. Perfect thyroid. <laughs> I also really liked Rum... A rumble. Yeah, a mm -hmm. rumble, but that makes the noise rum with many M's. Yeah, it was evocative of uh, vibration. Mm -hmm. And also rum, which uh, you were just enjoying. It was so good. Glad to hear it. There was also a sound effect in this that confused me a little bit. I enjoyed it, but as I said, Gargoyle hits Miracle Man in the face, makes mm -hmm. the noise wham. Mm -hmm. That is followed up by him kind of running by him and then like backhanding him and it makes the noise bass 
It is B-A-S-S-S-H. So receding bash. I guess. I don't understand how the three S's and then the H works. It's weird when they try to elongate the sh sound. Do they put extra H's? Do they put extra S's? And neither one of them ends up looking quite right. I think you need to just stick with elongated vowels and then the single SH. Yeah, especially for like uh, punching or kicking type stuff, because otherwise you just get into the creepy like wet yeah. sounds. Yeah. Nobody likes that. Well, I mean, if, if you're watching the Raid Redemption, there are a lot of like big wet punch sounds in there that I did like that movie. It's disturbing. It's too much. It's yeah. I liked it too, but I the, the to big get wet little, punches yeah. were a bit much. Yeah. Ugh. Oh, I have a question for you. What? Behold or be gone? Well, it's highly unorthodox, but I'll allow it. So, you have potentially amazing, almost limitless power. That's good news. But you have to carry around a dark soul. That means if you get a little bit annoyed, you can turn into a real giant jerk. And that's the trade-off. No, thank you. Wow, that was fast. Yeah, I'm you sorry. You have to think I, about it, you get annoyed a lot. <laughs> I, it happens from time to time. It has been known to happen, yeah. And, I mean, I think I'm just giving a begone to omnipotence in general. I think I would be bad at it. No, 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 it's not omnipotent. Like, just, you know, you can shoot bolts out of your nether trident. You can be real strong. <laughs> I don't think I should be doing that either. Corey, I'm already real strong. Mm. Very strong. Be stronger. Not with my attitude, I can. Mm. So it's a be gone. It's a be gone. How about for you? Yeah, total be gone. I I am way too prone to like. I am. I got so mad this morning because I had forgot to hit the button on the oven that says bake. Mm -hmm. I set the temperature. Uh huh. I was like, okay, it's gonna preheat for an hour, and then I can put my sourdough in. And I went. Back an hour later, and the oven was cold, and it fucked up my whole timing, and I got really mad. Yeah, you you, you don't want to be eating a blind guy over that. Right, that's if I had that Dark Soul. Oof. It would be bad news for everybody. I, I don't want to have it, and I don't know what things are going to annoy me, and sometimes it really is for no reason. Mm -hmm. This is a while ago. I, I, I think I probably mentioned it on the show, but I think about it pretty often. I was driving somewhere, I drove by a guy who was jogging, and I just thought to myself, oh, grow up. Yeah. yeah. And so, like, I don't need to be frying that guy with my eyeballs just because he's jogging. And for some reason, I think that he needs to grow up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Next thing you know, it's devil bolts and problems. Yeah. So I think we're very wise to give that a be gone. Oh, thank you. Good for us. Hey, here's to wisdom. <laughs> Corey, what was your favorite panel this issue? We talked about it a couple times already, but on page six, when Val pats Beast on the head and tells him that she's more suited to be the boss. Pretty good stuff. I liked that a lot, too. That is one of the better drawn panels in it, too. There are a couple of close-ups of Beast's face where he just looks really off. Not when he's facing away from us, but it's, it's a nice panel. I like that one. It looks like maybe she's patting him on the head. She might also be doing the thing where... Like you would do with a little kid where you put your hand on his head so that he can swing and not reach you. Oh, yeah, that's very satisfying. Uh-huh. So she might be doing that with Beast, because she's, she's pretty tall. That's true. My favorite, and it's again come up a bunch, but that 
big wet punch of Gargoyle hitting Miracle Man in the face. It looks painful. You can see his face, like, reverberating. It's a panel that looks like it's almost in slow motion. His jaw is almost, like, looking dislocated in it, right? uh Uh-huh. And, I mean, that causes his Widow Peak to really come in, because he gets super pissed from it. But it is a really fun panel, and also it's just a side of Gargoyle that you don't see very often. I didn't stand up and go, yeah! But inside I did a little sure. bit. Yeah, it was you very know? satisfying. Mm-hmm. I think my ultimate favorite was on page seven, and it, I called it uh, Monk Party slash Turkey Force, because it really looks like Overmindy is trying to use the Force, like Star Wars style, to pull that whole roast turkey off the plate into <laughs> their hand. <laughs> Let me take a look at that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they are trying to bring that turkey to themselves. It is very impressive. And yet you do see that whole ham. It's huge. It is a huge ham, and it is colored in a way that is slightly off. Like, the outside of the ham is the same pink as the sliced portion of the ham, Mm. which makes me think maybe it's a raw ham. Yeah. Or maybe it's, like, cured. Maybe it is. That is, I think, the one instance in this book of the coloring just looking really off, which is, frankly, a little bit of a surprise to me because we don't know who colored this issue. There is no credited colorist. It's not George Russos, as far as we know, who has done the last many issues of it. And in the next issue, we do get a different colorist, but nobody's credited to this one. So don't know who did it, but the only potential misstep that I found was that ham looks weird. And so maybe that's on Miracle Man. Don't eat that. I'm not eating any food Miracle Man gives me. Good call. I just don't trust that guy. Well, why would you? No, he's a piece of shit. Yep. On the cover of this book, he's not even wearing his Speedo. He's wearing pants. Boring. Boo! You don't get the job. (laughs) You know what else would be actually a pretty good interview answer? Mm. It's from a sample used in a Fly Spinach Fly song. Oh. I had this stuck in my head. This is what sent me down the Fly Spinach Fly rabbit hole recently. Mm Mm-hmm. Listeners, I recently went down a Fly Spinach Fly, a local New Hampshire band from my youth, rabbit hole, where I started looking up their videos, and I found out there is a documentary that came out in 2011 about the Southeast New Hampshire music scene in the 90s, which I think we're going to watch later. But the thing that got stuck in my head that I had to look up to try to find out what movie it's from, and I couldn't find out it being from a movie, is one of the Fly Spinach Fly songs off the album, Poor Man's Picasso, starts off with a guy saying, Terminally enthusiastic and I do it all, Redbeard. I'm not good at most of it, but I do it all. Doesn't matter to me if I'm the guy in the front of the parade with the big hat and the baton, or the guy in the back with the symbols. Maybe the back is better. I've had that phrase stuck in my head since I was in high school listening to that band, and it's still there, and I think that is a pretty good job interview quote. I would hire somebody who said that. That is a long phrase to have in your head for that amount of time. It really is. And as near as I can tell, I don't think it's a sample from a movie. I think that's just what one of them said at one point. But I really like that. I do it all. Not good at most of it, but I do it all. And as being enthusiastic as a can-do attitude and willing to pitch in wherever it's helpful. I mean, sure, the not good at most of it is a bit of a drawback, but... I really like the attitude. I think that guy's hired. Was it Fly Spinach Fly that, that had the thing where they would chant bocce until it would turn into Chiba? 
which was a word that they used for weed. I don't remember that. Bachi, 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 bachi. I remember they had a guy in the band named Bill X who was a little skinny guy who didn't play any instruments or sing, but he had a baton and a jester's hat, and he would jump off of tall things. Hype man. Yeah, he was really good. Yeah. He could do a backflip. Standing backflip. I cannot. No, nor can I. I have never tried, but I'm pretty sure I cannot. I think assuming you can't is a fair assumption in that case. I've also never really tried to speak Italian, but I assume I can't, and I think that's a safe assumption. Fixing the tractor. Yep. You'd know your limitations. Yeah. Which is a pretty good rule. But it's not necessarily the Hulk's rule. Corey, we both know that the Hulk rules. In this issue, what were the Hulk's rules? That was a good segue. Thank you. You're welcome. I had for the Hulk's rules, it's kind of a tired old rule, but it's a really good one. It's just don't fucking make assumptions, especially about what's best for people that you don't know anything about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's good to try to remember that old saying, when you make an assumption, you can go fuck yourself. <laughs> Is that it? Yeah, I think so. Did I tell you that I found a graffiti on the back of my fence when my stepsons were little? I had told them that when you assume you make an ass out of you and me. Uh huh. And then <laughs> it's like magic marker on the the back of the fence was the word assume with like you and me like with slashes. And then <laughs> I was like, either this is a wild coincidence. <laughs> They did not appreciate your little talk. Or one of these boys thought that this would be a funny thing to write on my fence. Sounds like they were right, if that was the case. Yeah. Thought it was pretty funny. Mm -hmm. Yeah, not bad. Yeah, no, it gave me a chuckle. Uh Uh-huh. I think that's a very good rule. I had the Hulk's rule being perhaps a even more simple one, but as timely, I would say. And that is, don't do a colonialism. It's bad. And you definitely can't fix a colonialism by doing another one. Don't turn the, like, Dutch East Indian Trading Company colonialism into a conquistador hacienda. Mm. Come on, Miracle Man. It's bullshit. Yeah, bad job. (laughs) Double raspberry. Mm Mm-hmm. It's pretty harsh words, but (laughs) colonialism gets the double raspberry. And that's the Hulk's rules. (laughs) Corey, I have just one more question I have to ask you. All right. In the year of our Lord, 1983, and the month of our Lord, July, what Wong doings was Wong doing? It's come up before that Wong is a uh, a technology enthusiast and um, enjoys himself some computing such as it as it was at the time mm-hmm. and uh part of that is is having a little fun sure and it's so, a big part of computing always has been yeah 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 so he got on a plane and flew to japan in july of 1983 and around the middle of the month because two things were happening that he was very excited about one is that the nintendo corporation was releasing their first product for the consumer market called the family computer, the Famicom, Ooh. for short, which was this really adorable red 
and white plastic. It was basically like the early version of the Nintendo Entertainment System that mm-hmm. we know here. So he went there and he picked up one of those. And uh, also that same week, Mario Brothers had come out. Super Mario Brothers. Mm-hmm. Was it Mario Brothers or Super Mario Brothers? Because those were different games. It was Mario Brothers. The, okay. Like the older. So it's the head-to-head game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where you jump on crabs' heads or whatnot. And, yeah, 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 yeah. So he got that and uh, took it back home. He and Steve hung out, got some Jamaican incense, and maybe some Cool Ranch Doritos, Ooh. and started playing Mario Brothers on the Famicom. It was about uh, 15,000 yen back then, which was around 180 bucks at that time. Ooh. Which in today's dollars, though, was around uh, almost 500 bucks. So it wasn't cheap. No, it's weird the extent to which video game prices have remained pretty constant. I remember NES cartridges were like about 80 bucks. Well, they were... 60 to $80. No, they yeah, were they 30, 30 or 40 but but in today's no, dollars, no, that's no, like no. a million. In, in the back then times, Corey, they were, they were like... They were like $60. They were not 30 or 40 I remember going to Toys R Us and being shocked that I had to pay 40 bucks for, like, Super Mario Brothers or something. Was it on? Maybe it was just a Maybe it was on sale at that point. I'm pretty sure they were, like, like new games, like like Super Mario Brothers 3. I'm pretty sure it was, like, 60 bucks. That's so much money for a kid in the 80s. I know. But, like, that's still what video games cost. Like, everything else has gotten more expensive or cheaper. Mm-hmm. But, like, the technology around video games and video game systems seems to be relatively constant for new ones. Hmm. It's do... weird. It, it's that, the price of marijuana was constant for a very long time. It was, like, $40 an eighth. Decriminalization. Fuck to that whole system. Man, it's so much cheaper now. It's ridiculously cheap. And the... Wendy's value menu. Those were like the things that didn't fluctuate in price. There was like a stabilized shadow stoner economy that was like fast food, weed, and video games. The price is constant. Everything else all over the map. Yeah. Take that, invisible hand. Hmm. Yeah, an invisible hand is token a doobie. Yeah, I drove I drove by one of the, the I think there's a, a weed store every like three blocks. Yeah, we were joking earlier that for any new building, it has to be a mixed-use residential slash dispensary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, that's just the zoning laws. It's the Portland law. But, uh, yeah, I saw, like, one of the marquees was, like, $50 ounces. And I remember, like, back in the day, like, an ounce would be, I don't know, 400 Yeah. Sometimes $500. Like, that is a crazy difference. It is. It's astounding i just wish i liked weed as much as i did <laughs> i know i can't take advantage of it no ah, what a shame <laughs> it really is well that's one thing that wong was doing in july of 1983 but it wasn't the only thing as you no doubt noticed for the last two issues steve has been gone and the in-text reason for his absence is that he's off vampire hunting Yay. which has consequences mm-hmm. Some of which, you'll be shocked to learn, were unforeseen. What? I know. I'm a simple man. I like my consequences foreseen. But that was not the case here. You see, in doing his research on vampire hunting, Steve had gone and seen the movie The Hunger, which came out in April of 83, and starred David Bowie as a vampire. And Steve was, like, trying to learn more about vampires and their ways. Wong had to explain that David Bowie was not a vampire, but that lesson didn't take immediately. So 
Steve had, in his vampire hunting research, delved deeply into David Bowie's back catalog. And that caused a great deal of annoyance to Wong. Because Steve couldn't remember lyrics, but was very enthusiastically singing along. So he's just wandering around the sanctum going, I'm a pretty thing. <laughs> Let me make it plain. I am the Sorcerer Supreme. And that just got on Wong's nerves. He tried to block it out, but whenever Steve thought Wong wasn't listening, he would astrally project to right next to him and sing. And so Wong just had to get out of there and be not just alone, but alone for a long time, someplace where there was a lot of noise that could drown out Steve's astral singing. So he adopted a disguise, and using the pseudonym Dick Smith, <laughs> Wong became the first man to travel around the world by helicopter. And over the beating of the helicopter blades, he could barely hear Steve singing in his astral form. And that was nice, but it didn't last forever. And when he got home, he needed to figure out a different way to keep Steve singing out of his head. So he put on his headphones and on July 25th, got Metallica's album, Kill Em All. <laughs> and uh, got out some of his aggression by listening to that heavy metal music. And uh, it drowned out Steve's renditions of Oh You Pretty Things, or as Steve sang it, I'm a Pretty Thing. Wow. And that's what Wong was up to in July of 1983. Man, that was a, a lot. It was. Wong, like me, I think, would have been pretty damn annoyed if uh, when he looked up the fact that that is when that Metallica album came up, there was a picture of Jason Newsom, who was not the bass player on that album. Cliff Burton, it right? was Cliff Burton, yeah. yeah. Like, why you got a picture of that guy? That website has the worst fucking pictures of everybody, and they only have one, and mm -hmm. they just use it all the time. Yep. I think they do that on purpose, the unflattering pictures. The only one I appreciate is John McEnroe. Look stoned as fuck. There are a lot of pictures that I appreciate, but they are all unflattering. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's just, you know, I just see an unflattering picture of Billy Martin or George Steinbrenner. I'm like, yeah, yeah, fuck those guys. Mm. Well, Corey, thank you so much for joining me. I had a great time talking about this comic book with you. You're welcome. Despite me too. our split decision on it. Mm. We're real Siskel and Ebert in that we sometimes disagree about things. <laughs> and one of us... Wrote Beyond Valley of the Dolls. Wait, what? I mean, Roger Ebert did. I don't oh. think one of us really did. <laughs> I was just like, trying to I'm think of a I'm pretty way. sure I didn't do that. And yeah. also, you're not old enough, so... Fine. I mean, I wrote the phrase Beyond Valley of the Dolls. In your so notes? technically, yeah, so technically <laughs> I wrote Beyond Valley of the Dolls <sighs> in my notebook. Um, Sorry. It's okay. I'm a real Roger Ebert. Except I did like the movie Wet Hot American Summer. He didn't like that? He hated it. He gave it like one of the worst reviews anyone has ever written about That's a about funny anything. fucking movie. It was hilarious. Maloney alone carries the whole thing. The DVD extras for that movie alone are wonderful. Yeah. The guy from Frasier? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, the guy from Frasier is great. The uh, A.D. Miles is in that, and he's very drunk in one of the DVD extras, and he does... A little rap at a party where he goes, the A is for Anthony, the D is for something that you do not need to be worrying about. <laughs> oh, I'm so mad. <laughs> it's awesome. I love it.
Good movie. Good times talking about this comic. If you'd like to get into touch with us, we can be reached at Tighten Up the Defense, P.O. Box 20311, Portland, Oregon 97294, or, as this is the future, we can be reached electronically. Can you imagine such a thing? At ttwasteland at gmail.com. We're also up on the internet in some places, so you can uh, poke around and find us on some socials media. But hey, if you can't find us there, there's one more place you could be looking. And that's deep inside your heart. Corey, what are you going to be doing in people's hearts this week? I'd be uh, testing out various robot vacuum cleaners. Oh, like Roomba style? Yeah. But they can't be called Roomba because you're buying off-brand? It's just like 10 different ones. Just like set them go and last one standing. Like setting up like a robot competition in people's hearts? Yeah. That sounds pretty fun. Thanks. Are you going to be able to return them after you do that? Is that like the plan? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's are expensive. Yeah, no, I, I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah, normally, you've got a certain degree of Yankee thrift, one might say. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I'm not keeping I don't need 10 Roombas. Or I didn't think so. Or 10 whatevers. Is one of them called a Doomba? Because those might be reprogrammed Doombots, and I don't think you should be releasing those in people's hearts. No, no. It's only non-destructive robot vacuum cleaners. Nice. That seems like a pretty good time. Yeah, no. We're, we're going to kick back on the couch, roll fatty, <laughs> watch those little fuckers fight. Well... Speaking of that, I think what I'm going to be up to this week in people's hearts is uh, playing some Tony Hawk Pro Skater. I just got the reissue of Tony Hawk Pro Skater. Man, he used to beat me so bad at that game. I don't know that I would anymore. I'm trying my button mashing and it's not working. It's very frustrating, but also pretty enjoyable still. Did you watch that documentary? I did. So good. It was really good. There is one guy, I can't remember his name right now, Dwayne... Former pro skater, Eddie Dwayne? Oh, oh, uh, the... The the jerk. Yeah, the jerk guy. Yeah, he reminded me so much of one of my former co-workers who was a pathological liar that for a minute when I was watching that, I was like, did Benny convince some documentary makers that he used to be a pro skater? <laughs> no, no, that dude was real. I remember his, his skateboards from the magazine. Well, I, re- I remember him existing back then but when they showed like the footage of him back then and then the footage of him now it's difficult to draw a line between those two oh, yeah. and he does look kind of like my former co-worker and sound like him and drink like him it, it seems it could, like could, could happen you never could know be a thing yeah but uh yeah it was a really good documentary i enjoyed that a lot till the wheels come off Yes, mm. and the the music in it was really good too. Oh, I was, really enjoyed. That it. was like, such a nostalgic. Uh, it's got that time. one Buzzcock song yeah. in it. Uh, really good. Yep. If you would like to support the show monetarily, you can check us out at Patreon.com/ttwasteland. If you do, you get access to a whole bunch of bonus material that is up there as a thank you for people who are kind enough to support the show. There is the podcast, What the Duck Podcast Most Foul, but with a W because he's a duck. That's the full name of the show. That is the Howard the Duck Podcast that I co-host with my wife, Lisa. There are also a whole bunch of video reviews of classic comic books. I just did one of Logan's Run, the first issue of that, which has 1977 George Perez art, and it's really good. So that's a little preview of what you get. But if you want to see me ramble incoherently more about it, then uh, maybe kick us down a little bit of money. Thank you. It makes it possible for us to keep doing the show, and it really does mean a lot to me. If you would like to support the show in a non-monetary way, Corey, what's a way people could do that? 
Oh, easy. Just go online, buy like five or ten robot vacuums, and wait, no. Um, you could talk to somebody about the show. Oh, what yeah. kind of thing might you say? You say just go online. No, Fuck. no. You really want to get these Roombas, don't you? I just. I'm sorry, to... not Roombas. Have you ever just watched them? Like it's mesmerizing. It is really. Can you imagine a whole bunch of them. <laughs> Be the coolest thing. Why haven't they made a lawnmower that does that? They oh, do. They do. Yeah, I have. I actually have a picture of it on my Instagram from germany i was of course it's germany right. right yeah it seems like that would maybe be really dangerous i watched that thing for like 20 minutes until i was asked to, <laughs> to leave <laughs> where were you uh munich oh you were asked to leave munich because you were doing that no just uh the, the what was it i don't know somebody took me there to, it was like a either a government or like what? a re- religious type building place that had these, that had these grounds like a oh okay okay it was like an official place so you could tell somebody that you like the podcast <laughs> yeah and uh that they should listen to it i'm sorry i'm still stuck on this lawnmower roomba it sounds like it would be amazing to watch but also the idea of putting knives in a roomba seems just inherently dangerous to me well i see i did maybe that's the reason why we don't have them here in the states i mean i assume we don't but i don't have one well, and, and that's because I think a lot of the rest of the world operates on this assumption that people aren't going to just do really stupid shit. And so, for example, if you know that you have something with spinning blades on it, you're not going to stick your hand under it, right? Yeah, no, I agree. It's odd that we are very selective in how we use that assumption as Americans just... um uh, I just made myself really, really sad. Yeah, I was trying not to. Yeah. Should we start over? The whole show? Yeah. Well, you also mentioned that people could leave a review of the show. I didn't, but... Oh, you well. did <laughs> Yeah, well, why don't you? <laughs> so, two things that come to mind. One <laughs> is talking to people about the show, right? Okay, you yeah, we, we've been over that. You like it. Yeah. Tell somebody, and that would be great. The other thing that you can do is to leave a review, uh, probably wherever you got the show from. Yeah, unless you stole it. It's free. Yeah, so what were you even thinking? Stealing a show that's free. It's just rude. Come on, what are you, Miracle Man? No, I'm unnecessarily antagonistic. Yeah, that was too hard. If you want to steal the show, steal the show. It'll make you actually It'll give you a little charge, you know? Please do. In fact, put it up on... uh, eBay. U-Torrent. Oh. Or LimeWire or whatever. You know, make it seem pirated. Yeah. People will download it and uh-huh. it'll be cool. It'll be pretty neat. Yeah. Yeah, just steal the show. Yeah. Steal it and tell people it's stolen and offer a reward for it. Yeah, it'd be a regular uh, Abby Hoffman. Yeah. Or, you know, download it and then sell it to somebody. Steal the show. Yeah. Do it. Five stars. I dare you. I dare you. Unless you're a coward, steal this show. Oof. I'm sorry, that was unnecessarily aggressive. You keep doing that. This is why I can't have a dark soul, Corey. Well, you've been over that. Yeah. You're having to edit so much. I know. I'm doing it to myself. Corey, why am I hitting myself? I don't know. Why are it's you a valid you? question. <laughs> anyway, until next week. I don't know. Maybe visit the library and try to familiarize yourself with the independent music scene in southeast New Hampshire in the 90s. Goodbye! Bye!
Dancers are named after Detective Chipmunks. I think they're both named after the Furniture Maker. I had I had gerbils when I was a kid that yeah. I named them that, and I'm hoping I named them after the Squirrel Chipmunks. Yeah, probably you squirrel named chipmunks? them after the, the Detective reg- yeah, Detective Chipmunks. Yeah, they weren't initially detectives; they were just chipmunks at first, and then they got the reboot TV show, and they're like, "Well, what if they're detectives?" Because it'd be weird if I named them after <laughs> exotic dancers. Yeah, yeah, I. Th- I think both groups were named after the furniture maker. I, I didn't know. Because, like, you know, it's like a, like a well-turned table leg. Like, Victorians were dumbasses and thought you'd go crazy with horniness if you saw, like, a table leg. What? Yeah. Why? Because Victorians like were fucking bullshit. Yeah, not necessarily. Like, they, I think they thought it would look like a lady's leg. Like, that's why they had to have, like, long tablecloths. Because they're like, oh man, you see that? You're just going to start fucking tables left and right. Man, th- that was that was some bullshit. That whole thing. The Victorian yep. era. I'm sorry. No, I don't, I I don't like to be an absolutist, but I, no, I haven't heard garbage. anything yet. That's yeah. like, oh, that sounds nice. No, stupid idiots. Do you think anybody actually tried to fuck a table? Dude, Do you think of, like, of course somebody you... tried to fuck a table. <laughs> you're right, um, you're right. This was pre-internet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can't coaches jerk off to video over There was it. no TV either. Yeah. So they were just fucking no. bored. They were fucking they... just like, hey, look at that table. Ooh. Mm, let's pull that back that tablecloth a little bit. That is a nicely turned gams. <laughs> look at the look at the oh, gams on that shit for Oh, it is a nicely <laughs> No, that's Australian. <laughs> chim chim chiroo. That was the king, probably, and mm. that's why Queen Victoria was just like, nope! Yeah. Everybody use tablecloths. I'm tired of this shit. 